I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't really like preaching Easter. And some of you are thinking right now, oh, that's funny, because we don't like you preaching Easter either. Bring out the guy with the trumpet, let's sing another song, go to brunch. Um, But I'm wondering, is anyone curious as to why I would say that? I'm a Christian pastor, Easter's a big deal, why would I not like that? Is anyone, anyone curious? Okay, good. There's one person, because I was going to tell you anyway, so I'm glad at least there's one willing person. Thanks for that. Um, It's because Easter for me feels like it is all resolution, but there's no tension. It's kind of like watching the last five minutes of an action movie where you, you see the hero walking away from a smoldering battle scene with a smile on her face and then it cuts to the credits and then it's over. I mean, that's kind of what the, the gospels do. They, they talk about Easter, Jesus is risen, and then they're over and, and we're just kind of left there and, and it's all resolution. There's no tension. And so this year we thought, you know what, let's, let's just scrap the normal Easter thing and let's go to the most action-packed, tension-filled part of all of the scriptures. Let's go straight to the book of Revelation. Coming Coming to Pathfinder Pathfinder Church. Church. And an Easter Easter like you've never never experienced experienced before. Revelation. Revelation. Easter will never be the same again. Who's ready for it? A few of you are like, let me just put you at ease. I can see it on your faces. That's a joke. Okay, um, we're being lighthearted here. Um, although, although I will say that Revelation has more to do with Easter than I think most of us realize. But I want to go back to that tension resolution conundrum, that, that tension that I feel on a day like today, where I know Easter's theologically important. I know we're celebrating victory, Jesus' victory, the victory that other people have experienced. But if I'm honest, I look at my life and there's not a lot of victory. There's a lot more tension. My, my life feels like the opposite of Easter, all tension, no resolution. Anybody else? I mean, just pick an area of life, right? Relationships. They can be good, but there's a lot of tension there. Or Finances? Anyone feel a little tension around money? <laughs> or what about work? I mean, have you ever said this? Have you ever said, hey, uh, just one more busy season and then I think things are going to get easier? <laughs> Never works out that way. There's always more tension, right? And so we go through season after season of tension and it seems like, it seems like there's never any resolution. And, and so while Easter is all resolution, no tension, it, it just feels like there's, there's something missing. There's some sort of disconnect. But, but that's why we need not just the normal Easter encounter uh, account this year. We need the account of Revelation, and, uh, and I'll explain more about that later. But, but first, if you know anything about Revelation, and if you don't know anything about the book of Revelation, that's completely okay. Lots of us don't. But if you do know anything about Revelation, I'm curious, I, I want you to kind of shout out here in a second, what comes to mind when I say Revelation? So what comes to mind when I say Revelation? Shout it out. The beast. The beast. Scary. What was that? I missed it again. Gates. Gates. Okay. I think you said the Sphinx. And I was like, I, I mean, there might be a Sphinx in there too. But yeah, the gates. Um, yeah, dragons, beasts. Any, anyone, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Anybody? The coming of Jesus. Yeah. The white horse and there's all kinds of ho- different colored horses. Raising the dead. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds. If you've never read Revelation, there's crazy stuff that's happening there. It's a book that's rich with symbolism and imagery. When I think of Revelation, I think of these late night TV prophets 
who, I don't know if you've seen them, but they kind of like, it's like a news show and they tell you about the news of today and then they interpret it all as if, oh yeah, this revelation said this was all going to happen. Do you ever watch those? <laughs> I guess it's a guilty pleasure only pastors do. You guys are watching ASMR videos or whatever on Netflix and, and I'm watching this. But, but I, I find these really fascinating. It's kind of interesting. And if I'm keeping up with them, at last time I checked with the kind of mainstream opinion of those TV, mainstream opinion of those TV prophets. Um, it goes something like this. Oprah Winfrey is still the Antichrist, according to them. And um, not only that, but the mark of the beast has been revealed to be Apple. And all the Android users said amen, didn't they? It's like, of course, I mean, Apple's everywhere taking over the world. And uh, if you take the words Armageddon, the, word, the epic battle, and you mix it all up and you divide by 12, you get Brexit. Right? This is the battle to end all battles. And, and I'm, I'm tracking pretty well, right? I mean, if you watch those, that's kind of how they talk about it. And, and here's the thing about Revelation. Whether you watch those prophets or not, there's all of this symbolism. There are all of these things, scary, weird stuff. And we're left wondering, what does this all mean? It's incredibly confusing. And so if you want to get a little more clarity on this book, especially as we live in a, a turbulent time, we encourage you to come back. I think we'll help you get a little more clarity on some of those things. But here's what I want to do today. I want to help you understand that Revelation has everything to do with Easter. And in fact, I want to change your view of Easter forever based on what we see in Revelation. So today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5. If you're here in the room, you can look along on page 1240 uh, in your Bible, or the words will be up here on the screen. And, uh, and, and there's going to be a lot here. It's going to be overwhelming, and there's going to be some weird stuff. I don't want you to get overwhelmed by it, though. Just take what you can. I'll explain a little bit later. But here's what I want you to think while you're hearing this, as I'm reading this to you. I want you to think of Easter. I want you to think of a behind-the-scenes view of the Easter story we all know so well. It goes like this. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So you're tracking uh, kind of this God, God sitting on his throne, God the Father sitting on his throne, and he's holding a scroll. And there's some important information that we need to know, but no one can access the information. It's sealed and no one's worthy to open the scroll. It goes on. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, to, to the one John who's having this, this vision, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. You didn't know where Freddie Mercury got that melody from. It's from Revelation. So you never knew that. Um, I'll stop. My kids just died inside hearing me do that. I won't do any more of that. 
You guys know, i got teenagers. It's, anyway, um, he says, uh, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because, listen to this, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God. You purchased on behalf of God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them all these different people to be one kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature, everyone, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. I told you it was a lot. Lots of symbolism, kind of overwhelming. But here's what I want you to understand. Behind the Easter story that you may know, the story of the disciples going to the empty tomb and finding it empty and scratching their heads and the women being there crying and the, and the guards having a seizure and panic when they saw the angels and the angels announcing, he's not here, he's risen. Behind all of that, that confusion, those question marks, stands this account. A picture of, of what it all means, why it's so significant for us today. You see, um, as, as we sit here today trying to understand all this, I, I just want to help you maybe a little bit interpret some of these, uh, these symbols here. It started off with God, you know, sitting on his throne and he holds his scroll. And in the scroll is the mystery of God that needs to be revealed to humanity. And as we talked about, no one is found worthy to open that. And yet we need to know, we need this mystery revealed. Thus the word revelation. We need this mystery to be revealed. And yet finally, after looking around, there's one who is found worthy. It is, it is the root of David or the rod of Jesse or the line of the tribe of Judah. But he doesn't show up like a line. He doesn't show up like a root. He shows up like a lamb who looked like he had been slain. Who's that talking about? Jesus. I hear you whispering it. Who's it talking about? Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. Yeah, you know, it's talking about Jesus. Except a lamb is not exactly a powerful animal, especially a lamb who has been slain. And so you see something different about this lamb here. It's kind of weird. It says he has seven eyes and seven horns. Uh, that's all symbolic language. Eyes to, to imply that he is all seeing. He is all knowing. Horns are a symbol in the Bible of power. He is all powerful. And right away, all of the living creatures and the elders and the angels and everyone gathered there in in the throne room of heaven, they realize that he is the one who is worthy to take that scroll and reveal the mystery of God. See, this is what Easter does for us. Jesus, because he is the lamb who was slain, because with his blood he purchased people from every tribe and nation, now we are able to to have the mystery of God revealed to us, the the mystery that people have been wrestling with for thousands of years as, as Greeks sat around and tried to figure out what was going on in Mount Olympus or the Egyptians tried to understand what was going on in nature and and they made up these myths and stories about who God is, what he's like, what he's all about. Is he good? Is he angry? Are they playing games with us? Are the gods capricious? Are they they kind? We don't know. There's been mystery forever and yet in Jesus, 
And what happens on Easter, the mystery of God is revealed. We don't have to wonder anymore what God is like because we see God in the face of Jesus, in his suffering, in his humility, in his willingness to give up his life, to purchase us, to win us back, to bring us back into a relationship. We learn that our God is a God of incredible grace. He's a God of compassion. He's not out to play games with us or to control us or to do any of that other stuff. He's, he's a God who is, who is giving and generous and he just wants to bring us life. We don't have to wonder anymore who God is or what he's like because we see him fully revealed in the face of Jesus, not only as a God of grace, but as a God of power. See, if you just read the normal Easter accounts, you might not understand all of that, but God gave us revelation so that we could, we could understand what is being revealed fully But Revelation does something else for us. See, I want to go back again to that tension, resolution, conundrum that I sometimes feel on a day like today when we're talking about victory, but there's not always victory in my life, and we're talking about a great resolve story, and yet I'm feeling all this tension. See, Easter, I'm sorry, Revelation is the explanation of why Easter can be a total victory and why I can still be living with so much tension. Do you have any idea who the book of Revelation was originally written to? And this is not just trivia, uh, by the way. This, I think this is actually really, really important. Because sometimes when people talk about Revelation, they act like it was written for just for us. 2,000 years after it was written, like it meant nothing for no one else, and now it's just our roadmap to interpret modern politics or something. Which, when you think about it, seems a little silly. But the book of Revelation actually says who its original audience was. The original audience for the book of Revelation were a group of churches, seven churches to be exact, living in a place called Asia Minor, it's modern day Turkey, you can see it on the map, seven churches. They were the recipients of this book, Revelation. And what's important about these seven churches is that they were living in a time and in a place of incredible tension. So if you feel tension in your life, you are not alone. So were these churches. Uh, You you can see some of the tension even on the map. See, here they are, and then right over here is Rome. In Rome, that's where the the emperor, the Roman emperor sits, the Caesar sits. And during their time of living, just a few decades after the resurrection of Jesus, the the, man, the the emperor in Rome, the Caesar, was going crazy. Um, There was a series of them, actually, and more and more they started to try to portray themselves as a god to be worshipped. They started demanding that the whole empire worship them as gods. Which is a problem if you believe Jesus is Lord, because as you're saying Jesus is Lord, the Caesar over in Rome is saying, no, 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 Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. And the Caesar also has military force and might, and so if you're living here and you're not willing to say Caesar is Lord, you're saying Jesus is Lord, that's going to create problems for you pretty quickly, and it was for these seven churches. Not only that, not only do they have Rome on one side, but just a little further down here on the map was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was still the epicenter of the Jewish religious establishment. Um, Down in Jerusalem were their kinsfolk. But as people who professed that Jesus was Lord, that put them at odds with their kinsfolk. That was not okay to say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Uh, Jewish people believed that there was not one God, not um, no God, but one God, and Jesus couldn't be, and that they were heretics. And and so, so they're experiencing suffering and persecution from their own kinsfolk. Jewish people here and Jewish people even living in the region, they're experiencing pressure from the Roman emperor who wants to be worshipped as a god. They're experiencing incredible tension. Now let me just make this just, just really crystal clear for you. The people in these churches are gathering for worship. 
kind of like we are. And they're reading the Gospels, and they're saying to each other, Jesus is Lord. And they're celebrating Easter, and they're declaring victory over sin and death. And they're having a great worship celebration of triumph, and then they're walking out after worship is over, and they're going out into the streets, and they're being slandered, and they're being shunned, they're being arrested, they're being beheaded, they're being fed to lions. And this just keeps going on and it gets worse and worse with every passing year and people are starting to wonder, what is going on, God? Where is all of the victory that you promised? And they start crying out and they're saying, Jesus, we appreciate that you're the lamb who was slain, but we could use the Black Panther, right? We could use someone with power to help us, to rescue us from all this tension that we're living in because we're not feeling the victory and we don't know where you are and why aren't you coming to our rescue? Why aren't you coming back in power? Why, why aren't you doing something? And they're crying out to God and God hears them and he finds a man named John and he says, John, I want to give you a vision and I want you to write it down and I want you to send it to these churches because they need to understand that the most powerful man in the universe is not the Caesar who sits on a throne in Rome. It is Jesus and he will reign forever and ever, long after the Caesar is gone. See, they needed to hear that in their day. I wonder if any of us sitting here today need to hear that. So I know for some of us as we look around the world and we experience our own personal tension but we look at the bigger picture of what's going on in our world, I know for a lot of us there's concern about where things are going. Seems like things aren't headed in a good direction, especially as people of faith. Sometimes it feels like maybe our, our values aren't being honored or even being attacked and we start to worry about what's on the horizon. I just keep thinking back to those seven churches. You know, we feel it, but I can only imagine what they were feeling. They were at the very beginning of a movement. The, the people in these churches, they could not fathom a day when two billion people worldwide would profess Jesus as Lord. They were just at the start of something. They, they were such a small sect, such a small minority, so they couldn't even understand this. And, and yet, when, when that was coming against them, I can just imagine the tension that they were feeling. And, and that tension, you know, it starts to play, a, play games with us. It starts to eat away at us. And I don't know how you handle tension, but we all handle it differently. And for some of those churches, the way they handled the tension was they said, all right, the world's going to get tough with us. We're just going to have to get tougher. And the world's going to fire at us. We'll fight fire with fire. And uh, we're just going to dig in and we're going to stick to our guns and we're going to deepen our convictions and we will not be moved. I wonder if any of you are familiar with that response to tension. Some of you are, you know. If the world's going to get harder with me, then I'm just going to get even harder and I'm, I'm going to fight back. And it seems like a good approach to deal with the tensions of life that come upon us, but here's the problem with that. It is almost impossible to develop a thick skin and not also develop a hard heart. And to develop a hard heart, that's just not an option for those of us who follow Jesus. Love is everything. And yet some of us here have gotten more used to singing onward Christian soldiers than Jesus loves me this I know, right? And, and, and there was a church like that, one of those seven churches, it was the church in Ephesus, and that's what they struggled with. I mean, they, they, were, they were convicted and they were not gonna be moved and they were the fighters, and here's what Jesus says to them, and maybe some of you need to hear this today. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You're not people of accommodation. You're not, you're not people of tolerance. I, I know that's true about you. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, who claim to be religious teachers, but are not, and you found them to be false. You've declared them heretics. You're out there, you know, on witch hunts helping weed out all the heretics in your midst. He says, like, you're the Marines here. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown, grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. See, if the tensions of life or the tensions of the world, and we need to hear this, if, if they harden us in such a way that we lose our love, it doesn't matter how right we are, it doesn't matter how convicted we are, it doesn't matter how much we stand on truth, it doesn't matter how much we combat heresy, it doesn't matter. If we lose our love, then we've lost everything. We all respond to tension differently, though. And uh, there was another church of Revelation, one of the seven that I showed you. It was the church at Smyrna. And they were really in a tough spot. I mean, their city was just filled with emperor worship. People were eager to worship the Caesar. And there was also a really, um, like, violent sect of Jewish leaders who was crusading against the church. And so these are people who had hope in the beginning, but they were just beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up again. And some of you know that. Life has just beat you up again and again and again. And now they were becoming hopeless. And they were falling into despair. And, and they were just becoming brokenhearted and sad and fearful. I want you to see what Jesus said to them. He said... These are the words of him who is the first and the last, the one who will get the last word, don't forget it, the one who died and came to life again. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. If you're suffering, like, I I see that, I know it, yet I don't want you to forget that really behind the scenes, don't ever forget that you are rich. I know about the slander you experience, but don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer. It is a reality. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days. It's a figurative number. It's going to be a lot longer than that. He says, but be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. See, when when you're under duress and you're feeling despair and you're losing hope, Jesus says, hey, 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 don't let yourself fall into despair. Even when you're feeling the tension, even when you feel like you're losing, even when you're losing all the battles, you are still a champion. You will receive the victor's crown. Never doubt. Don't give up. Do you see that this book is so important for people who are living under tension, people like us. And it's telling us that if we allow the tensions of the world around us, the tensions of life to, to make us tough and thick-skinned, but if our hearts get hard, then that's a sign that we've lost our confidence in a God who can ultimately fight his own battles. He doesn't need us. And if we fall into despair and we fall into fear and we become overwhelmed by, by the, the evils of the world and, and we give up hope, then we've also lost our confidence in one who is reigning. See, this is a book that's calling us to confidence. I'd go as far as saying maybe even the confidence of Tiger Woods. I know I just lost some of you. Um, Tiger Woods, as you know, um, you've heard his name before at least, even if you don't follow golf. He's had a rough few years. 
And in the last uh, couple of months even, I mean, people have talked about, oh, Tiger needs to retire. He's never going to make a comeback. He's never going to be any good. Well, last weekend he won the Masters, his fifth Masters, I think, of his career. Um, and it was pretty impressive. And, you know, golf is such a mind game. That's why I don't play it. You know, if you, if you get in your own head or if you let someone get in your head, your game is over. And I already got enough stuff going on in here. Um, I don't need to add to it, so I don't play golf. A month ago, not at the Masters, but a month ago at the Players' Championship, Tiger's walking out to play. And maybe you saw this. He's walking out to play, and this is what he encountered when he walked out. A guy wearing a fan, probably not his fan, wearing a T-shirt. And on his T-shirt is Tiger Woods' mug shot from when he was arrested a few years ago for driving um, while drunk. Now, I just want you... (laughs) Jesus is calling. Anyway, uh, I just want you to... uh, (laughs) Um, I, I just want you to imagine for a second what that would be like. You're walking into work on a really big day. Like you've got a, you've got a big presentation to make or you're interviewing for a promotion or, or maybe you're walking into school and there's a big test, of, you know, make or break kind of exam that you're already taken. You're already nervous and you're trying to talk yourself up. And you walk in to school, you walk into work and someone's standing there and your moment of greatest personal embarrassment or shame is ironed onto their chest, what would that do to you? That'd get into your head, wouldn't it? And some of you, you may attack the person. Some of you, you may run the other way and just say, forget it, I'm done. And you'd react in different ways to that kind of tension. I don't know if you've seen this, but I love the way that Tiger reacts. The video's not super high quality, but maybe you'll notice how he responds in this moment. Take a look. Here we go, Tiger! Anyone see what he did? Yeah, he didn't attack the guy. (laughs) He didn't run back inside and go, forget it, I'm done. He smiled. Say what you will about Tiger Woods, but that's confidence. And see, this is what I feel like God is calling us to today. He's calling us to a quiet confidence. Not an arrogance, but a quiet confidence. He's calling us to walk with a humble swagger through all of the challenges that life may throw on and throw at us, all of the tensions we may face, the conflict, the disappointments, the defeats. He's calling us to walk with a humble swagger through all of the suffering that may come, the persecution that may fall upon us. He's calling us to live with a humble swagger, knowing that he is not just a good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, but he is also the one who holds the stars in his hands. And he is surrounded by thousands, 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels, warrior angels who are singing out his praises. And he is the one who will defeat every beast and dragon and enemy who puts himself against us. He will inevitably destroy all of those things. And not only that, not only is he the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world so that we could be reconciled to God, but he is the one who is reigning over the universe right now today, even when we can't see it. And he's reigning for us on our behalf. See, that's why we need Easter. That's why we need this picture of revelation so that we can understand what it means when we say, he is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujah. That means he is reigning for us and we can walk in confidence. Happy Easter.